What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Harbin here with you. So in this article that I wrote, I want to dig into this revenge of the billionaires. Right now, it's over at Truth Dig, the website Truth Dig, where I'm asking, could an oligarchy of the morbidly rich basically overthrow our democracy or create a second civil war? literally a second civil war, where people are shooting each other, as the Atlantic is hypothesizing. In my opinion, what's happening here is that we are now no longer a functioning democracy. Now, I think it's possible for us to get back to being a functioning democracy, but I don't think that we've been a genuine functioning democracy since somewhere in the late 90s, early 2000s. Because you define a democracy as a country where the will of the people is enacted into law. The policy of the government is what the people want. That's the most simple explanation of democracy. Aristotle basically said that a tyranny is where the government serves the tyrant, right? Uh, You know, a, a kingdom is where the government serves the king. An oligarchy is where the government serves the rich, the oligarchs. And a democracy is where government serves the people, the demos, which is Greek for people. We know from the 2014 study that Gillens and Page from Princeton and Northwestern published that the desires of the bottom 90% of Americans are not being turned into legislation and haven't been since the 1980s. The Reagan revolution was genuinely a revolution. It began the process of turning America from a functioning democracy into a full-blown oligarchy. Now, there's three things that are necessary to take down a democracy and replace it with an oligarchy, which has happened you know, hundreds of times in the 3,000 years since the Greek democracy. And in fact, this is how the Greek democracy was taken over. The first is control of or substantial influence over the principal, a critical portion of the media. When the oligarchs control the media, you're on the way toward oligarchy. Number two, the legalization of the bribery of public officials. This happened late in the the death of the Greek democracy. It happened relatively early in the Roman experiment with democracy. What this does is it allows the oligarchs to achieve majority control of the legislative process so they can pass laws that only benefit themselves. And number three is take control of critical parts of the court system so that when you're challenged, you can win in court. All three of these things have happened now in the United States. And then the fourth element, once you've got that and you're starting to dig deeper and deeper, and once the oligarchs start digging deeper and deeper and deeper into society and culture, buying more and more media, more and more politicians, more and more of the court system, then you begin using the criminal justice system against your enemies. In my opinion, we're in the process of moving from an oligarchy into a tyrannical oligarchy, an oligarchy that has a police state attached to it. And we'll see, as Bill Barr, I guess December 9th is the date that he said he's going to announce the outcome of the investigations into police agencies looking into the FBI. Now, police looking at themselves, that you know has a long and storied and positive tradition. 
internal investigations, in, internal affairs divisions, you want the police to be looking over themselves. But the FBI already has that. The Department of Justice already has that. It's called the Inspector General. And the Inspector General's job is to do with the FBI and with the Department of Justice and with the other police agencies, the Secret Service and whatnot, that are overseen by the Department of Homeland Security. The Inspector General's job is to basically do the same thing that when you watch the cop shows on TV where they all hate internal affairs because internal affairs is looking for bad cops. They do the same thing. So we've already got that. This is coming from an appointed political official, Bill Barr. And that's a very, very dangerous thing. So how do we step back from this? Or where is this going to go? Where does it go next? In my opinion, if Trump is reelected, the beginning of the police state that you're seeing right now with Bill Barr ordering investigations into people like James Comey, the former FBI director, people who investigated Trump, will expand. And anybody in government who has dared to defy Trump will be taken down. It's already happened within the Republican Party. Look at Justin Amash, the Republican from Grand Rapids, Michigan, who has had to leave his party. But it will start happening in a far more serious and consequential way. The Navy secretary resigning because he would not go along with Trump saying that a Navy SEAL who shot a teenage girl in the stomach, her terrified friends had to drag her off before he shot one of them or shot her again, that, you know, he's just fine. He's a good guy because he's on Fox News all the time. Don't you know? But the point that I make in this article is that we have been here before. That the Civil War was about oligarchs rising up and then creating a police state. In the South, there were a couple of thousand plantation owners who basically controlled the economy of the South. They were the South's oligarchs. I mean, we know the names of many of them from the 1700s. Patrick Henry, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. Right? These, were, these were oligarchs, Southern oligarchs. Well, by the 1850s, they had become massively richer. The South actually controlled more wealth when you consider the value of the human beings who had been enslaved by these southern oligarchs in addition to all the other wealth of the south the south actually controlled more wealth in the 1850s than did the north now that flipped with the industrial revolution by the 1880s that had completely changed but in the 1840s and 1850s that was very much the case and the north made their money selling the products of the South, principally cotton, or using the products of the South, making cotton into clothing in the mills up, you know, through Massachusetts and New Hampshire, New York State. So the oligarchs in the South, in order to enforce their oligarchy, created a police state. They had these slave patrols that the Second Amendment provided for. It was a terror state terrorizing these, the individuals who'd been enslaved. Virtually all of them, of course, being African-Americans. There were a few Native Americans and there were a few white people, but the vast majority, 99.9% African-Americans, who had been kidnapped and brought here, or whose ancestors had been. And those oligarchs were looking at the North, and the North was getting richer and richer because of manufacturing. I mean, the Industrial Revolution is generally considered to have started in the 1860s, 1870s. But really, I mean, we had railroads going in the 1840s, 1830s, 1840s. We were making steel. We were certainly mining coal. A lot of that was in the north. And so the southern oligarchs were looking at the potential for the rise of oligarchs in the north. This was before Carnegie and Rockefeller. and all that. Those were all in the 1880s, 1890s. So this was before the rise of the northern oligarchs. The southern oligarchs looked at the north and they said, pretty soon you're going to have northern oligarchs and we're going to be in conflict with them. What the hell? Let's just split off our own country and continue to run the south as not as a democracy, but as an oligarchy with a police state. 
And Abraham Lincoln had two choices. He could say, okay, see you guys later, or no, you can't leave. And he chose the latter, and that got us the Civil War. But that was the first time that oligarchs declared war on the United States. The second time that oligarchs really tried, seriously tried to rise up, was during the so-called Gilded Age, the 1880s, 1890s. And you go back and you look at the history of that time, and I, I wrote this book called Unequal Protection, How Corporations Became People and How We Can Fight Back. And the book really starts in 1886 with the Santa Clara County a Supreme Court decision. But when I was researching that book, we went to the National Archives in Washington, D.C., and in the Morrison Remick Waite collection, he was the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court at that time, we found many of the papers that were associated, because he was the Chief Justice, with other justices from the court. And while Waite himself was not corrupt, and in fact he ruled in the Santa Clara 1886 decision, the corporations are not people. Even though John Chandler Bancroft Davis, the clerk of the court, wrote in the opinion, or in the header to the opinion, the headnote to the opinion, that Waite had said, we all agree corporations are people. He took it completely out of context. While Waite was not corrupt, Stephen J. Field was. Stephen J. Field was the, the member of the Supreme Court from California. He also, back in those days, members of the court also were circuit court judges, and so he did the Ninth Circuit, which was California at that time. And he was the one, in fact, who sent the five railroad tax cases up to the Supreme Court, all of them using the device of corporate personhood, saying the corporations were persons. He was desperately trying to get this done. Well, it turns out he was doing this because one of the railroad oligarchs was bribing him. So we had the railroad oligarchs and in the 1880s and the steel oligarchs and the coal oligarchs and the oil oligarchs reaching out and bribing members of Congress, trying to seize control of the legislative branch, bribing members of the judiciary, the Supreme Court, trying to seize control of the Supreme Court. And of course, they already had strong control of the electoral processes through gerrymandering and things like that. And we fought back. We fought back with the Sherman Antitrust Act in 1890. And then 10 years later, 11 years later, Teddy Roosevelt became president. And Teddy Roosevelt used that act to break up these big corporations and, and slow down the oligarchs, the rise of the oligarchs. And then William Howard Taft after him, the two progressive Republican presidents did this. And then came World War I. And then after World War I, the oligarchs said, okay, let's try it again. And they sponsored Warren Harding in, 19, in the election of 1920 to become president under the platform of cut taxes at the top. The top tax rate was 91% of that time. Cut taxes and have you know, more, less government in business and more business in government. In other words, privatize and deregulate. And Harding won. And for nine years, we had rule, actually for 12 years, we had rule by Republicans and oligarchs. We were running as an oligarchy during what was referred to as the Roaring Twenties. And it was roaring for the top people at the top. I mean, you know, 90, 90 some odd percent of the stock was owned by the very, very rich. While wages at the bottom actually stagnated during the roaring 20s. Average working people saw their wages were flat or, or went down, just like now. And then, of course, came the great crash of 1929. And that led to Franklin Roosevelt, who fought back the oligarchs and turned us back into a democracy. And we were a democracy, in my opinion, right up until 1981, when Ronald Reagan was elected with money from the oligarchs because of the 76 and 78 Supreme Court decisions, Buckley and First National Bank, that said that when oligarchs own politicians, keep in mind the three steps to starting an oligarchy, to flipping a democracy into an oligarch, are oligarchy are seizing control of the media, legalizing bribery so you can seize control of the legislature, and seizing control of the courts. And in those two decisions, the second one actually authored by Lewis Powell, the Supreme Court said if billionaires want to own the politicians, that's fine. That's legal. That's free speech. It's protected by the First Amendment. And that led to millions and millions of dollars being poured into the Republican Party. The Democratic Party was still largely funded by unions at the time, so they didn't need that money. All this money went into the GOP, and that brought the Reagan Revolution. 
And within a decade of Ronald Reagan being elected, we no longer were doing what the people wanted. We were no longer a functioning democracy. We were doing what the oligarchs wanted. We were doing tax cuts. We were doing deregulation. We were cutting back on environmental protections. We were cutting back on worker protections. We were making it harder to unionize. I mean, right across the board, everything you can think of, they started attacking the social safety net. They were taking apart the Great Society, Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, and all those programs, attacking food stamps. Even Bill Clinton got in on the act because the oligarchs told him, you got to do this. Right? right after he was elected, saying he was going to be, he was going to govern like FDR, and just a, two weeks before he was, became president. I mean, it's, it's a famous story. Jamie Dimon and Alan Greenspan, and there was one other guy, sat him down and said, son, here's the facts of life. And he ended up, you know, with the Telecommunications Act of 96, allowing the oligarchs to take over the media. He said, welfare as we know is ending it. In one of his, uh, one of his State of the Union addresses, he said, the Arab big government is over. And we've been basically in oligarchy ever since. Now, how do we reverse that? In my opinion, the way that we reverse that is we have to reverse these Supreme Court decisions that allowed the oligarchs to control our legislature. This is why no Republican will defy Trump, because they are owned by oligarchs who are benefiting from the Trump presidency. And we have to reverse that. Now, we've been talking about a constitutional amendment for a long time. There are other ways to do it as well. Uh, I've talked about those on this program in the past, but I just wanted to lay out the, the broad outline here because I think that it is entirely possible that the oligarchs who now own the Republican Party would be willing for us to have a second civil war if it preserved their power, just like the oligarchs in the South pushed the first civil war. What do you think? You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Do you think I'm overstating the danger or understating it? Do you think it's possible that we could have a second civil war? And if so, how would it play out? Or is it already happening as a cold war? Eek, it's that time of year again, the holidays. You know, we love family, friends, photos, videos, but it's all capturing every laugh, smile, and under eye bag, and wrinkle, and crow's feet. All those telltale signs of aging, they're all front and center on your holiday cards and photos. But imagine that they're gone, poof, in minutes, without risky or expensive surgery. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. Don't believe it? Try it. You will look just like you, only 10 years younger. Plexiderm goes on clear so nobody will know you're using it, unless, of course, you tell them, including that judgmental family member. You know who I'm talking about. Just in time for the holidays, go to Plexiderm.com and use my code Hartman with two N's for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-741-7998. That's 1-800-741-7998. Again, 1-800-741-7998 or visit Plexiderm.com and use my code Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, at checkout. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's up? Tom, you were talking about Trump's tweets and health care policy a while back, and then yesterday you were talking about, do the oligarchs want a civil war? And I'm thinking Trump... Whatever he says or thinks he says is irrelevant because after these hearings, it's become clear to me that we are past the point of a functioning democracy. When you have a party, I'll give you actually three reasons. You have a party now that is spouting Russian propaganda openly, bald facely. Did yeah. you see this John Kennedy talking even to Chris Wallace? Yep. That's too much. And you've got. Lindsey Graham and probably Ron Johnson, these senators, are they being blackmailed? Yeah, probably not by Trump, probably being blackmailed by Russia. The other reasons would be the dysfunctionality of our media. It's obviously all right-wing owned, the liberal media, yeah, my foot. The other thing is two provisions in the Constitution. The Electoral College and the United States Senate are good facilities for this kind of infiltration and i i wanted to you were you're talking about ancient greece and rome you know mm -hmm. today something i wanted to bring up you know it's commonly thought that the fall of the roman empire was in 476 actually that's not true the year 476 was the year of the last roman emperor the last roman emperor the western roman empire stood for at least another 400 years 
And as evidence of that, I would I would, rec- I would show you that Charlemagne was crowned king of the Holy Roman Empire, emperor of the Holy Roman Empire by Pope Leo III on Christmas Day in the year 800. What happened was other non-Romans became emperors, and the outer skirts of the empire were influenced by the so-called barbarian tribes of Europe, and then they all fractured off. And that's what happened. All the little kingdoms or kingdoms in Europe sprung up. Remember, Charlemagne was a Gaul. He wasn't Roman. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to see here is, I think, pretty much the end of this union as a democracy. And maybe that's a good thing, because if this continues, I don't see the producer states being the blue states, California, New York, Washington, Massachusetts. I can't see them continuing to participate in this while they're being run by, I mean, look, at I, just, I calculated that the electoral power of a state of Wyoming, uh, if you think of it in terms of electoral votes per million, they have three electoral votes. They only have 573,000 people. So their electoral power is 5.2 per million. And California has 55 electoral votes with 39 million people. Their electoral power is 1.4. That Wyoming has 3.7 times more electoral power than California. Right, 370 percent more. Yeah, exactly. And so there, there are. And they only have 573,000 people. Those are the two facilities. The Electoral College and the United States Senate are the facilities of how the minority and the propaganda of Russia are going to fracture, and this empire, so to speak, is over. This democracy is... This is the beginning of the end, in my opinion. So the the, uh, issues, issues, however you feel about them, uh, universal health care or Medicare for all, it doesn't matter, because I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, well, I I, I don't quite share your pessimism, Paul, but I, I don't know if you saw the article that went up in, on Salon.com uh, where I was openly speculating that the oligarchs, the American oligarchs, the American billionaire class, was not just willing to have a second civil war, but perhaps even enthusiastic about it. And at the very end of the article, I noted that in order to avoid a civil war, or maybe in consequence of it, we may well see America splitting apart. And the obvious split, the obvious first split that I was seeing was California and probably forming a compact with Oregon and Washington State, separating from the rest of the United States, and then possibly a similar split happening in the northeastern states. I think that's right. And uh, the, the question is, okay, if there's another civil war, however it is, whether it's a shooting war, an economic war, does it end with Reconstruction? Or not, because, you know, our first war didn't have to end in Reconstruction. It could have just been in severance. Yeah, yeah. And, well, it could have been avoided with severance, too. True, and we should have done that. Yeah, well, I think think if Lincoln had known how long the Civil War was going to last and and how much carnage was going to be involved in the toll it would take on not just the country but on him personally, he probably would have said to Robert Lee, okay, good luck, see you later. And, uh, you know, let's draw the line. And he would have gone down in history as the goat, as one of our least popular presidents, because he gave away half the country. But, you know, there's no way to know those things in advance, as, as Lincoln well pointed out. And I don't think there's any way to know it right now. But the gist of my article that's that's over at Salon right now is that we ceased to be a functioning democracy in, in somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s, maybe as late as 2000, but somewhere in that period of time. And Gillens and Page have documented this. I mean, the def- definition of a democracy. Demos is the people, right? A democracy is a form, and you know, ACY, a form of government, is a form of government where the will of the people is enacted into law. And in a direct democracy, the people, you know, vote themselves. It's like a ballot measure kind of thing. And in a representative democracy, they vote for representatives who will do what they wanted them to do and put them in place to do. And if you look at the kind of legislation that was coming out of Congress and being signed by presidents, you know, starting in 1933, it was right up until 1981, it was consistently what the people wanted, expanding the power of unions, providing for long-term unemployment insurance, providing health insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. You and I could make a list, you know, we could take a half hour and create this long list of things that Democrats have done, and and, and occasionally Republicans have gone along with as well, building our national infrastructure and building schools and building hospitals and all this stuff. And then in 1981, something changed. 
changed. And you know, with the with the so-called Reagan Revolution, and what changed was that the will of the people was no longer being enacted. And as you know, this Gillens and Page study from 2014 out of Princeton University found that. You know, since since the late 20th century, for about two generations now, since the late 20th century, we no longer see what the bottom 90% economically, the bottom 90% of Americans want translated into legislation. Instead, in fact, what the bottom 90% wants is less likely than random chance to get translated into legislation. So the bottom 90% of us are actually being, our desires are actually being suppressed. Whereas what the top 10% wants economically is consistently turned into legislation. That's not a democracy. That's an oligarchy. Oligarchy is rule of, by, and for the rich. You know, Jimmy Carter said it on this program. You've, you've heard him say it. We've just become an oligarchy with political bribery being the word of the day. But I think the question that we all have to face, the issue that we all have to face is a variation on can this marriage be saved? Can this country be saved? Can democracy be restored? Because democracy has largely been lost. And I am strongly of the opinion that this election coming up 12 months, roughly, one year from now, that that election is going to be the final decision point for our country. We're either going to back up a little bit and try again to restore democracy, or Trump and his billionaire buddies, Trump himself being an oligarch, put into place by oligarchs like the Kochs and the Mercers, that the oligarchs are just going to run this bus right over us. And you're going to see, starting in... 2021, in all probability, and, and probably I would think maybe, maybe as late as early 2022, you're going to start seeing the selective prosecution of people like me and of other progressives and of progressive politicians. And it's not going to look like the brown shirts have come and invaded our houses. I would suggest to you that probably every politician in America and every activist, whether they're conservative, progressive, whatever they may be, could not withstand a super deep dive by all the major police agencies of the United States. And this is how they do it in China. And this is how they did it in Nazi Germany. And this is how they did it in Italy. And this is how Pinochet did it in Chile. This is happening right now in countries around the world. It's happening right now in Saudi Arabia. It's happening right now in the Philippines. It's happening right now in Poland. It's happening right now in Hungary. Formerly democratic countries that have fallen under the strong man's sway. And if somebody stands up and says, oh, wait a minute, we want democracy. The Internal Revenue Service looks at everything they've ever done. And, oh, hey, wait a minute, you filed the wrong form back two years ago. And that's a minor crime, but it's a crime, and we can prosecute you for that, and you can go to jail. After all, they got John Dillinger for tax fraud. Or I don't know what, but it's, it is almost always possible to find something to prosecute people for. And if you can't find something, you can make something. What China did for years, I don't know if they're still doing this, but they had a federal law, a national, nationwide law that said that you may not move your residence without the permission of the local police department. The town you leave, you have to get their permission, and the town where you move to, you have to get the police's permission. And one-third of the population of China between the 1980s and the early 2000s had moved. And virtually none of them got permission. So when they wanted to take somebody out, some pesky person, they would simply say, hey, you, you moved without permission. That's a crime. You're going to jail. And that's the way that they take these people. Look at the, uh, is his name, is it Y Pen, the, the artist that they took down? For some minor thing that had to do with, as I recall, writing a bad check. So I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned that if Trump gets reelected, you are going to see that that's going to come to our country in about two or three, maybe four years. And if Trump doesn't get reelected, I think we have a chance to reboot this thing. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. All the more reason to make sure that the Republicans haven't thrown you off the voting rolls wherever you happen to be and to wake up every friend you've got. So that's what's going on. Back to your calls, Judy in Carpenterville, Illinois. Hey, Judy, what's up? I believe... The Republicans want a permanent majority. 
Oh, yeah. That's why they're doing voter suppression. That's why they're doing gerrymandering. That's why they lie through their teeth. Yes, absolutely. Right. And it started during Clinton's administration when Newt Gingrich and Karl Rove came on the scene. Gingrich actually talked about that. He used that phrase. They had an openly stated policy. They wanted a permanent Republican majority. Yep. And that's when the Republicans quit working with the Democrats. Yep, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I don't hear this talked about, and it scares me no end. Yeah. And it's in line with a lot of what has been on the program today. Yeah, Gingrich really altered the norms of political behavior in the United States. And, and Judy, you're absolutely right. And so then the question is, what do we do about it? And that's always going to be a challenge. I saw this really interesting tweet yesterday from Galapagos, Darwin for Dummies, <laughs> at Darwin for Dummies. And Galapagos says, should Republicans be allowed to sit on juries? Clearly, they have no respect for the rule of law, nor do they exhibit the capacity to judge another Republican. They join in lockstep with the propaganda coming from the rich overlords, and the rest of us are at their mercy. Sad. I remember watching a year or so ago a documentary about when Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh Osho the Indian guru who had come to the United States and he had all these Rolls Royces and he was basically sexually exploiting young women and built this huge place here in Oregon, in rural Oregon. And at one point, they got into a big fight with the local town and they went in and they sprinkled, I think it was E. coli, I think it was bacteria that causes an upset stomach all over the salad bar in town and everybody in town was sick and it was on election day. It was, I mean, they were trying to drive down the, the participation in the election so that they could get their own people elected to the city council so they could kind of take over the town, as I recall. And that ultimately led to their downfall because they got outed for basically engaging in germ warfare against a town in the United States and Bhagwan got arrested and he ultimately got deported to India and, you know, and then he died. And, you know, it was a fascinating story. And there were, you know, legal actions and trials here in the United States. And I don't recall if there was a trial, you know, a local trial here in Oregon. But if there was and if it was in that community and you had these people who were literally members of a cult and believed that the cult leader was like essentially infallible and arguably participated in the conspiracy that produced the crime, that produced the cult, and that sickened all these people in this town. If it was a local trial, and I, and I was the prosecutor, I would try to strike every single member of the cult from the jury. I would say, no, you're part of the cult that did this. You're not going to be a juror in the trial. Now, I, I realize that, you know, that's a, that's a knife that cuts both ways, right? That can lead also to the logic of, well, you know, if there's, you know, an element of race involved in a crime, then we shouldn't have people of one or the other of the races involved, you know, the aggrieved party or the accused on the jury. And that kind of logic actually prevailed in the United States for a long time, up until, arguably, up until the 1960s. And continues to in many cases. But, yeah, you know, I think we all agree that that's wrong. But in the case of the cult or in the case of, you know, people who are participating, I'm not sure that you could build a case that it is wrong. You know, just imagine that you've got somebody like Roy Moore on trial for hitting on young girls, or you've got Cliven Bundy on trial for pointing guns at federal officers, and... They come into court and they go, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, yay, yay, Donald Trump, and invoke Trump over and over again. And you look at the jury pool and there's a bunch of people on the jury who, are, who watch nothing but Fox News all day long. Is that enough of a cult that they should be excluded from the jury? I mean, can we trust not just generic Republicans, obviously, uh, but can we trust Trump culters? You know, this, this Navy SEAL, ultimately the guy who, you know, his own people turned him in. You know, they altered the sights. His own peers, his other Navy SEALs, they altered the sights on his rifle because he kept shooting civilians. He shot this little teenage girl in the stomach. Her friends had to drag her off. That wasn't even what he was 
charged with. He was charged with, you know, sticking a knife at some prisoner's neck and then posing with the dead body. You know, some teenager. And he would just like randomly shoot into civilian, you know, at civilians. And, and so they, they altered the sight on his gun so he wouldn't be as accurate. And sometimes they would start shooting in the air to scare the civilians away because they knew he liked to kill people. So now he's on Fox News trashing his own chain of command and Trump is saying, oh, no, you have to stay in. So, you know, what if he is getting a military court martial? Now, I realize UCMJ is a little uniform code of military justice, a little different than, than our regular justice system. But, you know, he's been on Fox over and over and over again. If he was to be tried, now he's not going to be, you know, it's all behind him now. But if he was going to be tried for any of those crimes, would it be right to say, you know, Trump following Fox cult members are not allowed to be on the jury? I mean, have, has it reached that point? You know, and I guess the larger question is, are the Republicans who are following Trump so gone, so disconnected from reality that we should really be thinking of them as cult members, not as political party members or as supporters of a political, particular political candidate. And I don't have an easy answer to that question. So I'd love to hear your opinion on it, your thoughts, and feel free to, you know, argue with me, challenge me, or agree with me. Or with, uh, you know, Darwin for dummies. <laughs> that that, you know, maybe Republicans shouldn't be on juries, at least uh, if the person being tried is somebody who is proclaiming these crazy theories. And is there a Democratic corollary to that? I don't think so. You know, a juror who's wearing a Bernie button, I can't imagine what the crime would be where you wouldn't want that person. Well, maybe says some billionaire bankster is on trial. I, I don't know. It's an interesting question, though you know, juror bias and not being a, a lawyer or a trial lawyer. I'm not either. You know, there's probably nuance here that I'm missing. But anyhow, I want to lay that out. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eric, what's up? Hey, Tom, same issue here. I um on your question about uh, jurors and disqualifying them. Your question and your theory absolutely should be heated for any any counselor who's picking jurors to try any of these people related to these Trump crimes. And I just picked a jury a few months ago, and it was a uh, Are you an attorney? Individual. No, no, I represented myself. And, yeah, I was against a Pentagon contractor. And one of the questions that the uh, opposition's attorneys were disqualifying jurors on was as simple as, do you believe corporations are good guys or bad guys? I mean, that's Whoa. really generic. And the judge let them... If any juror answered with, well, you know, corporations are out for themselves, they don't care about anybody, if they made any commentary that was similar to that, the judge let that attorney strike those jurors. Did you have and a question myself, that you were asking to filter the jurors? Yeah, yeah, because it was a really strange case in that it involved governmental agencies and their contractor, right. and it was, it was in New York County, and everyone who knows smallish counties, even though Orange, New York isn't, everyone knows somebody who works in the finance department, the water department, the streets and sewers, you know, all those jobs. So right. everyone knows somebody who works for the county government. And that was one of the questions I had to deal with to rule people out was, did they have friends and family working for them? So uh, you have quite broad latitude to, to strike people from a jury pool. Fascinating. I wonder if, if your political opinions are protected when it comes to being struck off a jury pool. I don't know. Anwar in Macon, Georgia. Hey, Anwar, what's up? Hey, how you doing, sir? Good. Good to talk to you. I finally got a day off for a change. But uh, I wanted to tell you, Professor, uh, I think what's happening here is we're going, they're going about it the wrong way. See, and really what we saw with the judge's rulings was really the first time. It's been out there, but it's really the first time that we've actually seen the mind of what's going on with this man, Trump, he really is looking to be a king. Yeah. And there are many who are enabling him to be this king. Yep. Now, I don't know if the American people are aware. I really don't even know if... I think that some of the congressional people, Democrats and Republicans, may be aware, but I think that the shock 
that somebody would want to be king is causing them to go blind and say, well, no, that can't be. But this is what's really happening. And this is how democracies fall. This is how democracies turn into tyrannies. And he was asserting in court that he has an absolute, he has absolute immunity from any kind of, not just prosecution, but investigation. You can't even investigate Donald Trump, he's asserting. This in the tax case. Referring to the Office of Legal Counsel thing from the Nixon era, saying that you can't prosecute a president. He's now extended that logic to say, you can't even investigate me while I'm in the White House. And of course, the lower court knocked that down, but it's going to go to the Supreme Court. And God only knows what's going on. You know, is he making midnight phone calls to Brett Kavanaugh? I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going on? And are the billionaires sucking up to these guys the way that they did to Scalia and Thomas? Or is it now Thomas, Alito, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch that are going to the Koch brothers' retreats? I don't know the answer to those questions, but I agree with you, Anwar, that he is behaving like a king, and it's not a good thing. Thanks a lot for the call. Patrick in Phoenix. Hey, Patrick. Trumpsters on juries? Bless you, Thomas. You truly are a babbling brook of truth and knowledge okay <laughs> and the masses are thirsty i've been listening to you since carrie and every time i get on there you're still on the same page but you know there's no way the republicans are even close to being a reliable jury but that's you know i've been thinking about this for a while listening to every, all these news stations while i work during the day and you know the partisans got ridiculous, and I think the main reason we have this problem, besides for the oligarchs, the oligarchs created the partisanship. We've always had Whigs, Federalists, Republicans, Democrats, left, right, and it's always been about money, and they've used partisanship to divide our entire nation. It has finally infected every part of our nation, and now they're even doing it to our military. He's doing it by turning the, by elitism, saying that the, the masters are the elites, the soldiers, you know, are the yeah, common with this, people. With and this whole Navy SEAL popular. thing, what Donald Trump is doing is he's turning the enlisted men and women toward him and the officer corps toward the rule of law. He's driving a wedge into our military because he believes that at some point in the future, if he's going to refuse to leave office, that he needs the military to support exactly. him, basically. I, you know, I would not put it beyond this guy to basically have a military coup. Patrick, spot on. Thank you very much for the call. Ben in Detroit. Hey, Ben, what's up? Hey, Tom. Listen, uh, absolutely not. We not are what? in no Wasugla clans on juries. And not, no, on any no, jury? No, no. Or just, I was just saying juries where the guy who's being prosecuted is wearing a MAGA hat. Oh, okay. Sorry, I missed that point. You know, I'd love I'm to saying you can't have injury. cult members judging a cult leader. That's my concern. Right, right, right. No, absolutely not. I agree emphatically a billion percent. But the thing that I don't understand, Tom, is we are in Civil War II, and we are inching ever closer and are already horribly close to an actual physical civil war. I mean, we're right there. And I don't understand why there haven't been demonstration after demonstration after demonstration in every major city, every progressive city, and even every semi-progressive city in this country repeatedly. I feel like I'm standing on top of the world and everybody can hear me and I'm saying the world is burning, which it actually is, mm. and nobody is paying any attention. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've got this new climate report that's just scary, scary, scary stuff uh, suggesting that, you know, emissions are actually going up and they're going up instead of going down. And, uh, you know, we're looking at a real, real, real dangerous uh, potential here. Ben, thank you for the call. Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Years ago, we had a discussion about what is the definition of treason, and I said that I still believe that anyone who knowingly, willingly, and deliberately does anything that's detrimental to the country or detrimental to the people of the country is a traitor to the United States. And I feel like that is what we have been watching. And I think that, in my personal opinion, Trump has been a Russian asset probably since he was a young man and has had deep connections with Russia because his father did. And I think that everything he has done has been part of Putin's plan. What, to were, what were Fred Trump's connections to Russia? He and Stalin were friends. Are you, are you sure you're not thinking of Fred Koch? No, I'm thinking of Fred Trump. Because huh. when he went back to Germany and they didn't want him, he was over there after World War II. And um, he was seen with Stalin. 
And so, in my personal really? opinion, this has been going on ever since. Huh. I, and, did, I did not know that. I, I mean, I'll, I and you know, you think about some. This is, in my personal opinion, we have been at war, a computer war, a technological war. Yeah. And Trump has continued with his behavior and his beliefs, forcing them on us and forcing his racist beliefs on people. Yeah. And these old people who have, are still have been racist since their granddaddies fought in the Confederate War think he's wonderful. And sure. yeah, they think he's like a god. Yeah. And that's why we have our cult. But everything that's happened since the Mueller investigation has been actually, you could say, a, an aggressive military, uh, it's not a military response, but it is a response to a computer war. Yeah. And Trump has continued to do these things. And I'm wondering, did he pull out of Syria at Putin's orders and give our base in Turkey to Russia? Right. If, <laughs> and is this a bigger deal and treasonous, you know, treason. Right. My take on it, Norma, and this is just my particular theory, and I have no proof that I'm any more right or wrong than you are, is that it all began for Donald Trump with regard to Russia, and not just Russia. I would say broadly oligarchs across the world, strongman sure. oligarchs across the world who sure. control countries, that that all began after his casinos went down in flames. I think from the time that he started doing real estate in New York until his uh, six, five or six bankruptcies around his casinos, he was in deep with the mob, with the New York mob, probably the Italian mafia, or certainly, you know, just corrupt individuals, Roy Cohn's buddies. I mean, Roy Cohn was the lawyer for the two top mob families in New York, and he was Trump's lawyer and fixer and, until yes. he died. So he was in bed with the mob. His casinos go down in flames. The mob doesn't have the kind of money that he needs. The mob itself has been dying off. And so he got in bed with the Russian mob. And they were just laundering money, and probably also the Ukrainian mob, and probably also the Kazakh mob, and you know, all these. I mean, there's all these organized crime groups. And then this leads to him building Trump Towers in the, all these places in Turkey, for example. So I think that. What about it's, Uzbekistan? They were going to build one there. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if they did or not, but they, he, is, he does have one in one of the other Stan countries that's, a, uh, that's an absolute autocracy. And so I think that this doesn't have to do with loyalty to any particular country. I think it has loyalty to, to whoever is laundering money through his organization, whoever's basically but paying it's for treason. it. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Norma, thank you. Kathleen in Burkittsville, Maryland. Hey, Kathleen, what's up? Hi, Tom. I'm a climate activist, and I wring my hands all the time because there are so many issues that we and you are trying to address all the time. Impeachment, immigration, racism, health care, you name it. There's so many issues. And if, we're all in the same boat here on this climate. Mm-hmm. And, and if we don't paddle together, how are we going to get out of this mess? Uh, I wonder what you would suggest. Well, I think that we need to elect people who actually are interested in solving the problems, people, people who have a commitment to, to doing things on behalf of people rather than doing things on behalf of billionaires and corporations. I really think it just is that simple. That's what it all boils down to. And, that the, and the, in large part, this horrible mess that we're in started in 1976 when the Supreme Court legalized political bribery in the United States and allowed the billionaire class to take control of our legislature. And then through that, they've taken, they're, they're now in the process of trying to take control of our judiciary and obviously you know billionaires put donald trump in power we just have to have i don't want to keep quoting bernie sanders all the time but he's right we need a political revolution we need an awakening in this country kathleen thank you for the call jay in naperville illinois let's see on wcpt hey jay what's up hey how are you doing tom thank you for taking my call today sure. i wanted to you know chime in on my little theory of uh human psychology when it comes to the trump cult Okay. I think that you have to take into account what they have done with the people who followed Trump, from the senators and congressmen to regular everyday citizens. I think that he has got them to do one thing in particular that is undeniable, and he has got them to go along, go along with him. And what they know, in my belief, deep down, is a lie, is a liar. Mm-hmm. And so because they have gone along with him, on some psychological level, they are also part of the lie, and they are no longer defending him. They are defending themselves, and you cannot underestimate the power of denial. 
That's a good point. And that is why it is in my opinion that these people are never short of video of the man doing and saying something. This is a lost cause. These people will never, ever stop defending him. Yeah, I and I, the, I, o- the only way to get him out, and that goes. This goes all the way, and you got to remember also, in my opinion, that power begets power. The more, the more power someone like William Barr allows Donald Trump to seize, the more power William Barr himself seizes. And uh, the only way to get this person out is to have people turn out in droves like never before. It will. It, it, there's no way. And this that, is. Uh, and I think that this may be our last chance. Frankly, I'm very, very concerned that if Donald Trump is reelected, that that it's game over for American democracy, and we're going to slide straight into fascism. Um, Jay, thank I you for the call. Spot on. Dan in Chicago. Hey, Dan, what's up? Uh, Tom, doing okay. God bless you for everything that you do. Thank you. My comment is this: This won't change. The previous caller, the the caller that just called in. Mm-hmm. He's talking about white people, and that's my comment. I am a black man of 55 years of age, and we saw that in 2008 when the country was losing 750,000 jobs per month, when you have that sustained over a three, four, five, six-month period, it scares everyone who has a job. Correct. That is that is to say, it scared the hell out of white people, and it did not matter whether or not you were a racist. You needed a job. Right. John McCain came along, and he said that the fundamentals of the economy were strong. He also said that the economy was not his strong suit. He suspended his campaign. He sat at the table with George Bush Jr. and Barack Obama, and he had nothing to say. Right. I remember Barack that. Obama, Barack Obama had a list that had four or five bullet points that addressed everything that was going wrong to include the citizenry. Right. Uh, and I think this is just my opinion. I do not mean to offend anyone in America who is white, but it is my observation as a black man with quite a few years on this planet that they use their own. They use white people who are unsuspecting. They dismiss people of color. And once they have enough ingredients to gain power, it becomes simply a grab. It's a power grab now. Right. And so they pass legislation as fast as they can. They deregulate as fast as they can. They cut taxes for the wealthy as fast as they can. They pack the courts with partisan fanatical judges as fast as they can. So by they, Dan, forgive the interruption, but we've only got about 30 seconds left. By the Republican. By the, you're talking white Republicans, basically. Yes, sir. That is specific. Thank you for asking the question. And Tom, that's it. That's all I have to say. I could say a lot more, but that's it. You nailed it. We're talking about white Republicans. Absolutely right. And if you do this over a long enough period of time, Tom, you end up with the Frankenstein's monster that is Donald Trump right now. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that Donald Trump is the is the logical outcome of the Reagan revolution. If you're going to stop listening to average people, if you're going to shift government so that all it does is serve the very, very wealthy and and 400 years of institutional racism and slavery and everything else have have caused the very, very wealthy to be, you know, 99.9 percent white people, then class structure, race structure, financial structure, all those things get rigidified. They get they get hardened. And that's the Republican Party is preserving that privilege. It's pretty awful. Dan, thank you so much for the call. It's great to hear from you and and brilliant perspective. I really appreciate it. We'll be back with more of our program. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's on your mind today? I have a question about what is going on in Bolivia. Mm -hmm. And here is what I think is going on in Bolivia. There was an operation after World War II called Operation Condor in Bolivia. And it was basically that the U.S. would support any far-right-wing regime in Bolivia to impose a brutal neoliberal agenda. And that's what I think is going on currently, that it never really ended. And it was never just limited to Bolivia, was it? Oh, it was the whole South America. I thought it was the entire hemisphere. Um, I mean, it was was kind of an extension of the Monroe Doctrine. Basically. And the CIA and everything else. And now we're seeing it in a modern form, basically, in Venezuela. They're trying to overthrow the democratically elected president there. Right, Maduro. Trying to overthrow the democratically elected president in Nicaragua. 
And now they just did it in Bolivia, which has been on the target list of regime change by the U.S. Yeah. And if, but if that's a Jared, these, um, I mean, you do realize that the Constitution of Bolivia said that the president, Evo Morales, could not run for another term. He, just like our Constitution. The, the Supreme Court ruled those were unconstitutional. Oh, they did? Yeah. Before yeah, he, is, before he is, decided to run for re-election? Years before he ran. Okay. Years. This is, this is a big lie. Mm-hmm. This is a big lie we are hearing. This is the big lie. And um, this has been spread. And now we're seeing things like um, I'm reading about the Human Rights Foundation. And there's this movement called um, Extinction Rebellion right. that is actually being part of the globalist agenda that overthrew Morales. By claiming, oh, well, he's not doing enough to stop the Amazon forest fires, while ignoring what Bolsonaro is doing in Bolivia, that he's uh, causing the fires to explode. While, Wait a minute, you're saying that, um, you know, the Extinction Rebellion folks are like, you know, throwing sand in the gears, you know, disrupt things. You're saying that they're, they're being funded by what, the fossil fuel industry or something? By Western imperialists. What's your evidence I, of that, Jared? I don't have any evidence per se. But it's pretty clear at this point that if you lead the Gray Zone project about Extinction Rebellion and all these other organizations, you will find that they are, in fact, taking their orders from the Western oligarchs. That's very interesting. It's, so like, is- it's like the Revolutionary Communist Party operating under like pseudonyms and things. Fascinating. Jared, I'm going to have to do a little more of a deep dive on all this stuff, but thank you for the call. It's always informative talking with you. Lance in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey, Lance, what's on your mind today? The latest news is that the new Putsch regime has issued two proclamations. One is that all members of the MAS party, that was Morales' party, Mm -hmm. that holds a two-thirds majority in the legislature, not only are they not being allowed to show up and do their jobs, which is to govern, they're now being threatened with arrest, wow. and and the new regime has given a blanket immunity to all soldiers and police, no matter what they have to do to keep the MAS party and anyone else, especially indigenous people, from protesting. So, now, mm. fascists are going to fascist. That's yeah. just why they are. The only thing that's missing here are the black shirts and the castor oil. Yeah. But what is really disgusting about this putsch in Bolivia is the way that so many people who can call themselves human rights activists, like Kenneth Ross of Human Rights Watch, they concern troll the hell out of the Morales government because he ran for a fourth term, even though by law he is allowed to. The Supreme Court there, which contrary to Putsch propaganda, he did not appoint himself, they were appointed by the legislature, said that he could in fact run. He got their permission two years ahead of time before he ran. Hmm. Because that's what tyrants do. They go to a court and ask for permission to do something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when, I, get, I get the tongue in when cheek. They had the night, yeah. So when, they, so when they did that, and here's the, fi- here's the final, the, the really galling thing about it. Morales' current term, even if you accept that uh, the, the last election in October was, was totally stolen, he's still by law president until... His term is up in January. Right. He was forced out by the army. When the army tells the army does not ask you to do something, they tell you. They have guns, they have tanks, they have artillery, they have planes. When they say you will leave immediately, that's what he did. It's like saying a bank teller who hands the armed robber the money was doing it voluntarily. No, they weren't. So it was done under so, the arrest. So Lance, what you, you seem to be unusually well informed on this issue. What do you think the U.S. policy should be on this? Well, our policy in general throughout Latin America should be to butt out. And that means not just not supporting coups. But but throughout Latin America, you've got the same problem you have here in the United States, which is billionaire oligarchs corrupting and taking over the political process. Yes, but our government doesn't do anything to stop that. Our government actually helps those oligarchs to terrorize their people. My point. Almost all the leaders... Almost all the leaders of these death squads, almost all these putsch artists, almost all of these thugs are trained in America. They either have special FBI liaisons 
liaisons with American Police Department. Or they've entered the school of the Americas at Fort Benning. Yeah, I'm familiar. Lance, thank you for the call. It is an important issue, and like I said, last week or the week before, we had the former foreign minister of Ecuador on who experienced the same thing. His president got kicked out by a billionaire coup, essentially, which is apparently what just happened to Evo Morales, the first indigenous president. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back in the meantime. Get out there, get active, and share with your friends how they can find progressive media. Tag your it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 